Hey people, and welcome to Late for Therapy. I am Timova, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining me on my podcast. Listen, Late for Therapy is none of what you think it is and some of what you do. These are stories and discussions with extraordinary everyday individuals who have had some life experiences that were challenging or out of the ordinary or made some decisions that should have had them sitting in therapy. Or we talk about whether they learn to cope with it or if they laugh at it now. And it's not just all about serious things. We talk about fashion therapy, current events that are just plain foolish. And I'm sure you're going to enjoy this podcast. So sit back, grab your popcorn, and get ready for the first episode of Late for Therapy. Hello. Hi. Hi, and welcome to Late for Therapy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Listen, this is crazy because you know I've been putting off this podcast for like two years. <laughs> and and finally, I got like a, a slap in the face on New Year's Day and said, girl, do the podcast. It doesn't have to be perfect. Matter of fact, do two. So here we are. And I immediately thought of you, Mariah, for my first episode. So I'm so excited to talk to you and quiz you. Um, you're one of the most laid back and undercover funny people. A lot of people don't know that your ass is hilarious. Um, but it's sort of a dry humor and they don't get it. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, this is my first episode of Late for Therapy. This guest is an amazing person. I've been wanting to kind of just pick her brain for so long and she doesn't know that. But I'm always amazed at who she is, her story, and how she moves. Um, let me just say, Late for Therapy is just one of those things where we talk about things that have happened and life experiences from normal, everyday, extraordinary people who've kind of conquered what they went through and should have been in therapy, um, but either they coped or laughed it off. So I want to introduce everyone to this amazing woman, amazing mother, amazing educator and doula. Early in life, Mariah experienced a loss that so many individuals have gone through and so many have not. It's one of those things, many people have dealt with this and many people have not. But her loss is a little different because of who the person was. And I still say is to you because I see him in you a lot. <laughs> um, like I said, Mariah is one of the most laid back, low key, funny individuals I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. And guess what y'all, she's my cousin. So um, she's amazing, not just because she's part of my family, but she's just an amazing human being all around. And the funny thing, Mariah, we didn't get close until like as adults. Oh, my we God. Both, yes. Like yes. the past, what, five, five years, maybe years? five, six years. Yeah. And we've always known of each other. And just like Kino, all Kino's our cousin, you guys. I'm just calling out names like our <laughs> listeners know. We're y'all a family. So you're going to know some of these names. Kino always talk about you and my aunt always spoke of you, but we did not link up until about five or six years ago. And it's just been like, I've no, been around you my entire life. Like we immediately clicked. Uh, my family, my two children immediately bonded with you immediately. were like, Oh, I love, and you just kind of went all in. Like, this is my family. I love you guys. And it's been love ever since. Um, but your story is a little different and I spoke about you being my relative, but what I want listeners to know is the loss you experienced early in life was who? <clears throat> so that was my father. 
Mitchell. Yes. And what I remember most about Mitchell, I was very young. Um, not giving out our age, y'all, but I was young. In the in the 80s, we are from a town called Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Western Mass. <laughs> I love it. Um, it's low-key. You got to go visit to understand it. But I moved away when I was young. But I remember cousin Mitchell very well in my mind because I thought he was a movie star because he was a disc jockey (laughs) and and I remember people like my mom always spoke highly of him like my mom my aunt my uncles everyone loved Mitchell and my brothers were actually closer to him I remember just him coming to the house occasionally and just me I'm so young just being starstruck because he just had this personality that made me go wow but my you know my older siblings were much more close to him but Mariah's father is was Mitchell and do you want to talk a little bit about what you remember about Mitchell and in in your in your story sure um so my father Mitchell he passed um when I was about 10 years old um so halfway through my fifth grade year Um, of elementary school. Um, I remember him being very, very supportive about my learning, my education. Um, He was very big into making sure that even as a Black woman, a Black man, that you pretty much knew who you could become. Mm -hmm. Um, And education was very important to him. and he, he just pushed you um, to just be like the best version of yourself. Uh, his job was actually at um, a college in North Adams, which is also Western Mass, yes. um, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, it used to be called North Adams State College, but now it's um, MCLA, Massachusetts okay. College of Liberal Arts. Um, and I believe he worked there with admissions and I think recruiting um, freshmen or new students to come into the college. And let me just say this, cousin. He was well known. In, let me yes. back up a little bit. <laughs> he was so well known in our town of Pittsfield, but also my grandfather's brother, <laughs> um, my grandfather's brother was well known and Mitchell is his son. And let me tell you, Mitchell was all about excellence. I remember mm-hmm. that. And Tell real quick, I remember you telling me a story about, we're going to get into a little bit more about what you remember pre-illness and mm-hmm. then afterwards, but I remember you telling me this amazing story and you said one thing that stayed in your memory with your father, and I think this shaped who you are right now, you said you went to go see him and he was very ill. These were like in the last days. And his first question to you, if I'm not mistaken, was, did you finish your homework? <laughs> yes. <laughs> did you, this man, this incredible man, you guys, was literally on his deathbed yep. and he was still fathering and he was concerned with, he knew that what he instilled in you and your sister from before pre-illness, even at this point where he lay dying was, it was vital to who you would become. And you told me, he asked you, did you finish your homework? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is. um, Yeah. That's one of the last memories I actually have of him. Wow. Um, So he was in the hospital. Wait a minute. minute, That's one of your last memories. of Yes. Yeah, it is because, um, I mean, obviously as a 10 year old, I'm sure that I'm forgetting time and how time was moving, Yeah, yeah. but we would go to see him in the hospital. This was, um, 
yeah, this was right towards the end. So he wasn't at home anymore. He was in the hospital. Um, and I just remember after school, my mom would like get us ready, get our hair done. And then she would bring us to the hospital to go and just be with him, sit with him, talk with him, whatever. Um, towards the end, he was no longer able to actually speak. Um, I just remember him like laying in bed. He didn't have a lot of mobility. Um, he couldn't speak, like I said. So I just remember sitting in the bed with him and he was like motioning for me to get uh, like a pen and a paper. Yeah. And I just remember he wrote on the little notepad homework question mark. And I'm like, <laughs> wow. I mean, as like a, obviously as a child, I'm not going to like say anything like, no, I'm not doing that or whatever. But like looking back at that moment now as an adult, like that just really shows um, what he valued um, and what he wanted to instill into me, as you said. Yeah. And you all listeners, Mariah is an educator. Yes. So I think, <laughs> I, I promise you, I've been saying this for years in my head, but never brought it to you that even though I was very young and did not, I don't really mem remember everything about Mitchell, your father, but I think that moment, I think that had a lot to do with you becoming this amazing educator. Yeah, I, I just do not only because he worked at a college, he worked in higher education, making sure and I remember how important it was for him um, to make sure that black men and women and others got the education and access those things that were going to improve your your mind and your quality of life. He was huge on that. Yes, and I think that had something to do with you becoming an educator, <laughs> remembering that and what he instilled in you. I think you instill in others because I remember even how you talk to Jaden and Fallon, <laughs> you're the cool cousin who they love. But when you come down and, you know, we haven't been able to link up since the pandemic like that. She's in, she's no longer in Massachusetts. She's in Georgia, mm -hmm. but you would talk to them and you would ask about school and grades and, and, you know, you would be the fun one. And while we're taking shots, um, <laughs> you'd be like, Hey, Fallon, so how's that class? Jaden, what's going on? And I think that right there is like, wow, that's Mitchell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is Mitchell right there. Yeah. I mean, we come from like a long line of educators. So mm -hmm. my mm -hmm. dad worked in a college. Um, two of my aunts were teachers. Um, yep. My grandmother, my dad's mother, actually taught me and my sister, and I'm pretty sure <laughs> most of or all of her kids how to read. So I actually knew how to read before I went to kindergarten. Um, and growing up where I did on, I guess what they would call the good side of town, um, the school that I went to, it was probably me and maybe two other kids in the whole school who were black. So wow. everybody in my class was white. Um, and I know my teacher, my kindergarten teacher was definitely shocked when I yeah. walked in as a kindergartner, a little five-year-old girl already knowing how to read. Um, whereas my classmates are probably learning how to write their name and <laughs> that yeah. sort of stuff. So You're I definitely come game. from a family where education has always been very important. Yeah. Let me ask you this, if it's not too much. I know you, you, you know, you've, hey girl, you guys, I have my trusty assistant ghost staring at me right now. Ghost is my men pin. And as you can hear, my beautiful little cousin in the background probably latched onto her mama because as I said, Mariah's an amazing mother. 
Um, she had her first. How old is Raina now? She is two. She turned two in October. Yep. That's right. She had her first child, and Raina is a. Let me tell you, she's energetic, mm-hmm. and she's a smart little beautiful cookie. So that's who you hear in the background. She's joining the podcast, and we are we love it. <laughs> let me ask you this: I, I don't. You're you're pretty much one thing I am amazed at is how your mother or or the um, family around you helped you. From what I've seen, I could be wrong healed to the point where you are able to process and speak of um Mitchell you know of course with a little sadness you miss him but not with complete grief I, I feel like Yvonne did an amazing job with you as far as y'all let me call, I'm calling out all these names Yvonne is her mother um who's an amazing person but I think that you know the family you had around you like Kino your uncles and your mother and your family did an amazing job with helping you understand as best you could in healing you and I want to ask you if it's not too much what do you remember about your father if you do pre-illness like pre-illness versus right when he got ill and then after yeah so pre-illness I remember him um just always being really supportive of me of our family unit um always super hard working um mm-hmm. I did gymnastics and I actually started that's right girl. <laughs> Yes. A gymnastic queen. Yes. For therapy. How did I forget that? That was that was amazing. It's been a long time. Listen, y'all. She helped my Fallon. Let me tell you something about what was that five years ago? Fallon was throwing a tantrum. Fallon is my daughter, guys, and you'll hear more about that in other episodes. And Fallon is a competitive dancer. But years ago, I think what four or five years ago, she couldn't get that dog on air. Her front aerial, right? Yep. Right side aerial. aerial. It was and one Mariah, of the Mariah knew what to do. I was like, hold up. We got the U.S. Olympian up in here in the family. Let me text her. And she told Fallon, she what y'all, this, let me tell you, this Mariah is so amazing. She wasn't even here in person. She said, tell her to swing her arms back in something with her heels. I promise you all. <laughs> I told Fallon to do that. She got the damn Ariel. <laughs> But Mariah was an amazing competitive gymnast. Yeah. So you had had YouTube videos about you, girl. You had your little medals. Yeah, medals and trophies. Um, So I I started at a really young age. I think I was two or three when I started. Um, And then as I got older, I was like on the teams and competing. And I just always remember him um, being like one of the parents who carpools and brings the kids to the uh, facility because we actually, I, the gym that I went to is actually about an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes away from Pittsfield. So that was not a trip that one parent was going to be making by themselves. Um, So a group of us carpooled and I just remember him. He was always one of the ones who was volunteering to carpool. He was always there at my competitions, um, always rooting for me. Um, We would do things like riding bikes. We would always be riding our bikes up and down the streets in our neighborhood, um, showing me the importance of like family. Like my grandmother, his mother um, lived probably about five, 10 minutes away from us. And we would always spend time over there on the weekends, helping her in the garden. Um, housework, whatever it was that needed to get done. Um, so those are a lot of the memories I have of him. Free illness. And the thing yes. is, you guys, this is what we want people to know. Like there 
are fathers out there, even in the 80s and 90s and 70s and 60s, who were fully involved in every aspect. They were parenting. Yeah. And your father, it is evident in you and your sister. Just, just, it's very evident that he parented. Like he was a presence. Um, because you two, let me tell y'all, you two do not play any games when it comes to choosing partners or what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. If you're going to move to Africa and do it, you're going to <laughs> plan it out and you're going to do it. If that man says something that is, it's evident that your father was a presence and a strong force, even though he passed away when you were very young. Mm-hmm. I think somehow, do you feel like he knew, not that he knew he was going to get sick, but he knew time just is time and you just never know so he was going to be the best father all day every day yeah okay yeah I just yeah. feel like he just knew what time really was and what life was all about mm-hmm. and so you know he made a point we may not be here tomorrow so I'm not go- I'm gonna be that black dad who raises amazing children and I think that's why we have the Mariah we have yeah And even circling back to what you had said before about um, like him just being very well known. So Mm -hmm. he was always out in the community. He would like, he would be at um, the Christian center, which was like right next to um, the the church. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He was a DJ, like you said. So like everybody knew who he was, where they, they would call it the West side. Everybody in the West side knew who he was. I love shout out to the West side. Shout out to the West Side. And still to this day, whenever I go back, which I don't go back very often anymore, but when I do, always somebody stops me in the grocery store, on the street, wherever. You're Mitchell's daughter. You're Mitchell's daughter. Yes. You look just like her. <laughs> and I'm like, The first yes. time I saw you in person, because I was, again, I was young too. When I, mean, I wasn't as young as you, but when Mitchell passed, I was in my teens, I think, early teens. But when I saw you in person the first time, I, I think I just stared at you and you probably like, what the hell is wrong with my cousin? <laughs> because it was, it was, how can I say pleasantly scary. You literally looked like Mitchell with all this great hair. <laughs> and I remember being like, Oh wow. Wow. And you started speaking and I was like, Oh my gosh, it is Mitchell. That's how your brother found me, though. (laughs) If you ever heard the story of how I got reconnected um, and, like, finally met you guys, it's because your brother, Ace, that's how he found me. (laughs) He spotted you in a crowd in Pittsfield. He found me, not even in Pittsfield. When I went to college um, at Westfield, I used to work, um, I think it was my freshman and sophomore year, I used to work at the concession stand, like, during basketball games and all of that. And I remember like I was working and I was walking to the bathroom to take a quick break. And this short guy with gold teeth and a hat comes up to me (laughs) and he was like, you're Mitchell's daughter. And I'm like, yeah, like who, who are you? And he was just like, I'm your cousin. I can tell. I, I just knew that you're Mitchell's daughter. I'm like, okay. And then I just remember getting on the phone, like right away, calling my uncle Kino because he's like super close to me. And I was like, this short guy with gold teeth and, and a hat. He's like, he's related to me. And on the (laughs) other line, Ace was calling him at the same time. (laughs) I have never heard that story. Yes. I'm telling you, I believe it 100%. You tell no lies because when you when I first met you, I know you had to be thinking, okay, either she had too many shots already or this. <laughs> because I think for a good five minutes, I just looked at you. And it was, like I said, a pleasantly spooky weirdness. 
but it was so amazing. And then when you spoke, I went, <gasps> wow. <laughs> wow. And, you know, I think those memories that you have and how you carry yourself, I, I know he's so incredibly proud. So he was big on family and doing things. And, and I think a lot of people in our family are big on that. And I like how you talked about pre-illness, the things that you would do and, and you, you had the whole understanding and lived that family life. Mm-hmm. You, you went in the garden with your grandmother, you were with your dad, and these are amazing things. And I want everybody to be able to experience that because having that in your life allows you to be who, what we see about allows you to be a healed whole none of us are perfect but healed whole person who can get out there and do amazing things and be an amazing just asset to anyone you come into contact with i can text this girl and say oh my gosh i need xyz you best believe mariah is going to find a way to get here she may have Raina on her hip <laughs> but she's coming she came all the way down to make the trip for Jaden's graduation and i know she'll be here when Fallon graduates next year um Yes. Fallon's my daughter. <laughs> Jaden's my son, guys. New listeners. Jaden is my son. Fallon is my daughter. But Mariah is someone I can count on. I can text her and just be like, you know, this shit sucks. I don't, I, I need some more clients today. And she's going to post. She's going to go, hey, my cousin has openings. Um, Go, go check her out. Mm-hmm. So what, <laughs> that's what we do. Yeah, that's, that's what we do. We're very supportive. And even if there's times when you're like, this cousin getting on my nerves, I do not feel like being supportive. Mariah will be that person who will have some dry humor, make us laugh. <laughs> we'll be all sitting at the table at, for brunch or lunch or dinner. And there'll be that one cousin be like, this did he just say that? Why is he acting like that? And she'll give you the look. We'll laugh it off. But then she's the one to bring it all back together. Again. Like, that's still your cousin. Um, so that was pre-illness. What do you remember? Do you remember anything about that moment when you realized, not when he was dying, but when you realized he was getting sick, like something, did they sit down and speak with you? Because you have a very, um, I don't even know how to say this. You have a great understanding of death Mm -hmm. and life and healing. And where in the heck, like you have to be young and, have gone through that, you have a grasp on what death is and how to handle it. Do you remember what they talked to you about? Like when he, the, the initial illness or when you first noticed dad is getting a little thin or something's not right. Yeah. So, um, again, as a child, I'm not quite sure how far in advance, like my mom knew, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure pretty early on because my mom is a nurse. So like, all of her background knowledge, I'm sure that he had her in the loop pretty early on. Right. Um, I remember, I can't remember if I was the one who asked or if they were the ones who approached me. But the first thing that I do remember was his stomach just started protruding. And he was not like a heavy set guy at all. Um, he was like, working out muscular all of that but his stomach looked like a pregnant woman's stomach honestly Mm. now what type Um, of cancer did he have i can't remember so they they called it pancreatic cancer which is usually pretty aggressive um and i'm not i'm not sure about the statistics to it but i know that it is aggressive and um Mm. it happens really quickly so the first thing that I remember was his stomach started sticking out, but it wasn't soft. It was like hard. So I guess it was oh. like a lot of fluid that was just like built up in it. 
Um, And I think he had some sort of procedure that was supposed to alleviate the fluid, but I don't, either it didn't help or it wasn't done correctly or something. Um, And then after that, it, it was pretty fast because I want to say this happened a few weeks after 9-11 because 9-11 was my fifth grade year as well. Um, So we're talking September and then he passed in January. Um, So really just a few months Um, after the stomach that I noticed, then um, he did start to lose a lot of weight and he, he lost weight pretty quickly. Um, He was walking with like a cane Um, It was hard for him to kind of get around on his own. I remember that we had to replace our couch in the living room because it was too soft and it was hard for him to like sit down and get back up. So we had to get a firm couch. Um, And like his, his face was just very like drawn, like his eyes were sunken in. And so it was pretty aggressive. Like, yes, it was aggressive and progressive. Yeah, it it was very fast. Um, I remember that even probably in December, late November, December, because it snows pretty early on <laughs> up in Pittsfield. Yeah, um, but I sure remember has. that he was out, like he could barely walk. Like he was, he was walking with a cane, but he was out shoveling our driveway, shoveling our steps. And I just remember my mom yelling at him, like, get back <laughs> in the house, like, I can do it. I will figure it out. I can find somebody else to do it. But like you, you do not need to be outside in the snow and you can't right. walk shoveling our driveway. But that's, again, the type of person he was. And I remember in December, um, we always had this gymnastics meet that was like holiday themed because it's at the beginning of December. Mm-hmm. And he was in a wheelchair at that point. Um well, he was sitting in a wheelchair, let me say. He wasn't, like, in a wheelchair all the time. But he was sitting in a wheelchair. And I just remember him, like, just being really small and frail and, like, bundled up in all these blankets. And they allowed him to sit so close to, like, the floor just so that he could see me when I was competing. Um, and I still definitely remember that moment as well. But it did happen very, very quickly. Wow. Wow. And then, of course, we spoke about him being in – Mitchell was going to be Mitchell in the hospital still parenting making sure you get that education yes do you think like again there are and unfortunately hundreds of young 10 year olds who are probably going through this now um or who just recently went through it the loss of a parent sibling you know whatever because it is different how do do you think this experience of experiencing this early on could have had a more traumatic impact on you had your father not been the type of father he was and how he loved and handled and parented you? Do you think it could have been more traumatic? Or do you think after his death, the way your mother just surrounded you and your sister with love and the family unit came together and were like, nope, we're going to show them the love. Do you think that that was how you were able to come over this, this devastating life experience to be as healed as possible from this. Do you think that's why, or talk to me about the healing process or the trauma. Yeah. So I almost feel like it might be more trauma. And I honestly think that I probably Mm. didn't heal until later on. Um, 
So just to put this into perspective, so he passed when I was 10. um, And then it was just my mom, me and my younger sister, who's Mm -hmm. five years younger than me. Um, And then five years later, so when I was 15, my mom actually got diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, wow. So in my mind. I did not know that. Yes. Um, And listeners, let me just pause. Listeners, my mother passed away of breast cancer in 1998 at the age of 50. So I did not know um, that Yvonne. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So I think at that point it was kind of like, all right, well, what happens now? Like one of my parents already had cancer, didn't make it. Mm -hmm. Now my only parent that's left has cancer. If she doesn't make it, what am I supposed to do? Um, So I feel like I didn't really get a chance to heal from my father because then a few years later, then we had that news, but she overcame it. Um, She's in remission. She's fine. (laughs) Everything worked out. She's amazing. She's amazing. I always (laughs) make her laugh. She thinks I'm crazy, which I can be, but it's a good crazy. She always laughs um, when she used to look at my posts and stuff. So she's just, I, I love her. She just has this light about her, but you know what? This is a testament to what, we don't really see because here I am big cousin thinking, Oh my gosh, she, she's just has a whole, you know, grasp on this and she healed. And you're like, uh-uh, no ma'am. <laughs> yeah. I honestly don't think I healed until probably, I, I feel like more it piled on to mm. each, like it was like this happened and then this happened after. Um, and then I just remember like as a teenager in high school, like we had, lots of other issues like um a particular relationship that my mom was in at the time um so I I wouldn't say I acted out but I started to kind of seek I guess validation and love in places that I definitely should have and I know for sure that if my dad was still there then I definitely wouldn't have um and I did actually go to therapy for a little bit um, hey guys, so you were a little late for therapy, but you made it. You made it. Yes, I, I did go to therapy like in my early 20s. And actually something that came up was um, that, and I never had thought about it until she said this, was that my, so I was always a daddy's girl and my sister was always and still is a mommy's girl. Um, uh, so we had that, that before. <laughs> you did tell me that. Yes. So we had that bond, but my sister's bond has always primarily been with my mom. Um, okay. so then I, I kind of felt like I was abandoned and actually mm. I didn't realize this until we were talking about this in therapy where she was pretty much telling me like, it seems like you felt like you were abandoned when your dad passed. And I never thought of it that way, but then I guess I was like, I did kind of feel like he left me. Um, He didn't like say goodbye first. Um, Mm. So then I think that did kind of carry with me and it did kind of influence some of the relationships I had, like as a teenager and an early adult, because I like anytime anything happened, I went straight to like, I'm going to be abandoned or I am being abandoned. So it's just a lot of like unhealthy relationships because I didn't want to let go because of what I was still holding on um, just from past experiences. And guys, therapy is good because listen to how this wonderful person is speaking on it. Now she has clarity. Yeah. She may have been a little late for therapy, but she got there. And now we can laugh at it. And you said something I'm going to circle back to. 
the absence of a father, there's so many forms of absence of a father. Yours was different because he didn't want to leave. However, he passed away. So you were trying to fill that, fill that void and bad decisions in dating and things like that. Now, I went through the same thing. Now, my father didn't pass away. He was just absent. My mother was a single parent. Mm -hmm. And I promise you, sometimes whether it's just because your dad decided he's going to do go to the milk, go get milk and never come back or he fought for his life and passed away. Listen, that can really affect us in the decisions we make because we sometimes start looking for that validation in the wrong places um, and in bad relationships. Girl, I remember when I had to kind of check in with a therapist in my early 20s when I was dating someone and I just knew this was a bad decision. But listen, that, that sucker had so many bad ways and was such a demon i poured some salt and sage on that sucker while he was sleeping trying to hopefully get the negativity <laughs> out of him i took that box of mutton salt and threw some sage i was like and he's looking at me like what are you doing i'm like this this can't be you yeah this can't be you this has to be some demon in you honey that just so you know how it is young these young guys out here players and then i finally said oh no he can keep being the way he wants to be. Let me go ahead and go ahead and check in for therapy and just talk through this. Mm -hmm. And I was able to find out, you know, through just being raised by a single mom and having an absent father, I really didn't have a clear clarity on what a positive male partner would be yeah, or who they would be or look for the right things in them because I'm like, oh, he fine. He fly. Oh, he can dance. Oh, he in college. Uh, no, mm-mm. Because that sucker, he needed to swallow all the sage and, and Palo Santos to get that negativity out of him. But I love how you brought that up. And how did it further shape you? Or how do you think that his death and him not being present when you were 13, 14, 15, 16, you talked about, you know, relationships and, and um, just seeking validation and feeling abandoned. That's a huge thing. How did that further affect you? And how do you think that you were able, was it just the therapy or do you think it was just maturing that you were able to say, it's okay now, I'm okay? Yeah, so I definitely think that therapy um, gave me a lot of things to think about. Like I started to do a lot more praying. I started to do a lot of journaling. Um, I started to realize that I needed to work on myself before I should be trying to pursue any type of relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, because my main issue was that I would hold on to something that I no longer should have been holding on to Ooh. just so that I wouldn't feel like, um, I was alone or abandoned. Um, so I had, I definitely had to work through that. I had to recognize that. And then I had to grow from that. And actually because of all the issues I was having in that relationship. And the one thing that <laughs> so we did not mention about Pittsfield is <laughs> Oh, it's a population of about 300 people and everybody's in everyone's <laughs> business. Everybody's swimming in the same damn pond. Yes. And it's Jeez. just like everybody was in everyone's business. And every time you turn the corner, it's like, did you hear that so-and-so slept with so-and-so and so-and-so is dating yes, and so-and-so? And Mariah, they don't see <sighs> a problem with it. There was a post a few years ago. Someone from Pittsfield put up a post and stopped talking about swimming in the same pond. And some of the comments underneath were like, well, haven't we all? And I was like, y'all are okay with this? Exactly. Go to Lennox. Go to somewhere else. Go, <laughs> go to go to hell. Go to Albany, New York. Something. Yes. Areas are closer, but they actually thought it was okay, okay 
to swim in the same pond and be like, okay, that's your boyfriend, but he'll be mine on Saturday. Exactly. And then talk about it. I'm like, and y'all, this is small town. Not all small towns. I don't want everybody to get upset. This does not <laughs> pertain to all small towns, but in our experience from our hometown of Pittsfield. Yes, that's exactly how it is. Small town swimming in the same pond. Yes. And, and I care. just had to get out of there. So I just remember like one day being like, well, what happened if I just moved? Like I'm miserable here. Um, I'm running into the same people who are like pretty much causing my misery. Um, there's like two bars for you to go out to on the weekends. So <laughs> you're going to run into somebody who you don't want to. Sometimes those some two point. bars can seem like one and a half bars. <laughs> exactly. So I just made the executive decision. Like I was already teaching at the time. Um, I was on my third year as a teacher, elementary school. Um, and I was just like, what happens if I just move? And mm-hmm. I had come down to Atlanta to visit um, my uncle Kino, who was living in Atlanta at the time. And I stayed with him for a few days and he like showed me around and I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, yeah. wait, it's yeah. so big. There's so many things to do. You're not going to be running into your neighbor everywhere you go. Exactly. You can go someplace and just like not have a care in the world because it's just so different. So I was just like, I'm moving. And people thought I was crazy. Um, How can those small town folks can they just want to stay small town? I think it was the best decision you ever made. Honestly, me too. I think it was the best decision you ever made. It opened up a whole another world we're going to talk about in a minute. But let me ask you about the haters, the doubters and the hopeful (laughs) And the hopeful you fail. I, do you remember the story you told me? Yes. We were having a little yes. nightcap. This is so hilarious <laughs> to me. And we got into a discussion about, I can't remember, family members or not just family members, people praying for your downfall or seeing a tough situation. And instead of praying for the best, these people would be like, well, she going to fail and it's going to happen. So I'm not going to mm-hmm. name names. But <laughs> Mariah and I had a conversation and she told me about a family member who was supposed to be supportive and helpful pretty much wishing on the downfall of them because their father died and actually saying stuff about, oh, well, their father passed. They're not going to make it in this world because their father passed away at a young age. And I remember trying to be the big cousin, give you some wisdom. I said, girl, you know what? Look at you. You made it. And that person who spoke ill of you, look at their kids, grown and messed up. So you made it. You did amazing. I said, so that's their their issue. Overlook that. And you pretty much were like, fuck that. Nah. I'm not over that yet. <laughs> yeah. No, you are correct. It's, it's always somebody who should be in your corner, but then that's how mm-hmm. you realize who you just need to weed out. But absolutely. Yeah. She, yeah, she did say to me, um, this person, they, they pretty much were like, I heard that you're moving to Atlanta. Do you have a job? And I was like, I have job interviews. <laughs> right. Like I'm not, I, I know that I'm going to need a job, but no, I don't have a job yet. And they're pretty much like, well, that that's crazy. I can't believe that you would even be thinking of doing that when you don't have like a plan. Um, and actually, several years before this, so this is the second run and I had with the same person. Um, back when I was in high school, they actually approached me um, about college and said right. that I wouldn't be able to go to college because there's no way that my mom as a single mother would afford. Isn't that crazy? Able to afford for me to go to college. Yeah. And these are people who were supposed to be your biggest cheerleader and saying, you know, if there's anything I can do or any encouragement, yeah. or even if they couldn't do that, 
just say I'm wishing for the best or keep your mouth shut and yeah. this individual when they should have been maneuvering their own life and focusing on their own yep. children <laughs> you know so how are you feeling do you still have the same fuck that I'm never going to forget that mindset when it comes to that or have you grown and been like you know what that's their issue and now look at how that karmic energy came back and zapped them I mean it's something that I kind of keep in my mind as almost as motivation. Um, like I had an incident today, <laughs> work related, <laughs> and it was like another one of those things where it's like doubting my abilities um, mm. and like shaming me type of situation. And wow. like, I'm just like, okay, but like, that's how you feel. But I, I need to kind of like rise above and just know my worth and know what I'm capable of doing. Right. Um, whether you see it or not. So I, I'm always going to remember that. <laughs> I know you will. I'm always so going to remember night. that. I laughed so hard <laughs> that night. But one thing I want to talk about now before we wrap up is Mariah is not only an amazing woman, mother, and educator. She is now a doula. She is a doula. She has her own business. And I want to say doula company, but I don't think that's the right word. She is an amazing, knowledgeable doula in the Atlanta, Georgia, and surrounding areas. And I think she's amazing because not only has she trained extensively and has vast knowledge of what her role as a doula is, she understands her clients. She understands their, the client's children's needs. And as an educator, that's just an added asset. But you know what I think? Do you think there is a tie into watching your father pass at such a young age and watching life kind of die and go away? And then now you're a doula bringing life and nurturing life. Do you think that has another, I think that who your father was and what he instilled in you had a great impact on you becoming an educator, but I somehow think that his death has something to do with you bringing life or, or helping to bring life or make life wonderful in this world as a doula yeah so actually I I feel like um because he passed at such a young age I think he was 45 when he passed yeah that sounds um like or 46 I I feel like for me now as a parent I'm like I it, I need to take the opportunities that I have to work on things that are important to me and to pursue what's important to me um, before it's too late because you don't you don't know when your time is going to be right um, and I I want to feel like I've made as much of a difference in different ways as possible so like obviously as a teacher I'm working with kids children parents whatever and I'm making a difference that way in their learning but then as a doula um, making a difference as somebody is becoming a new mother, somebody who just became a new mother. Um, so I, I feel like because he passed at such a young age, it really gives me a perspective of what do I want to do with my life and what direction do I want to be able to go into? Okay. Yeah. And I thought about that the other day when I messaged you saying, I want you as the first guest on my podcast. I thought about that. I said, She's a doula. And I kind of just started thinking about how, because I've watched you, I had the pleasure of watching you um, 
with Raina, but I've watched you before you even became a mother. I watched how you interact with children and, and teens and stuff. And you've always had that nurturing. So when you told me a few <laughs> months ago, you were, I was like, perfect. I, I had no doubt. I had no doubt. And you guys, you, she has gone from this young, impressionable child who lost her father at the age of 10 to a teen who felt a little abandoned, not really understanding things. And just even though she had a network around her at times, just um, not really handling things as she should. Although I thought you did. I just saw the, I just saw the after you got off the therapist couch. I've only yes. seen that. So I didn't get a chance to see all of the other stuff. But to do that and become an educator and defeat the odds pretty much. And then now you're this doula. And talk to us a little bit about your role as a doula, birthing doula. There's so many types of doulas. I'm trying to make sure I get it right. Yeah. Um, a birthing doula. Plug your business. Talk about <laughs> what you do. This is your moment. You've gone from just this little girl finding her way to this amazing educator and mother and woman. And now you're a doula. <sighs> Yeah, so I want to actually start off by saying I'm I just realized the connection between education and being a doula. I'm like, oh, wait, yeah. I'm 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 still educating. I'm still yes, teaching, just are. not in a classroom. <laughs> um, so I can definitely use my expertise in like teaching um, as a doula. But so a doula, um, like you said, there's different kinds of doula. So what I am trained in is. Uh, birth and postpartum, which is after birth. Um, I'm also trained in fertility, but that's not an area that I'm pursuing, at least not right now. Um, I am specializing in working with first time mothers because I know how much stress and um, unawareness <laughs> there is yeah, yeah. when you're like just becoming pregnant for the first time you've never had a child before you you don't know what's happening in your body you don't know what to expect afterwards you don't know what to pack for the hospital um, all those questions that I was constantly googling when I was pregnant those are the things that I I help my clients with um, so I, I do that in the South Atlanta area because that's where I'm located yes. and I actually just um, opened up to being, to, to give postpartum support as well. So that's like, after you've had your Amazing. baby, um, going into the home and helping out with changing diapers, with feeding the baby, with breastfeeding, um, especially All of if you're having that trouble. Can be so confusing. Yes. If you, first time mother, or if yes. you are a, sec a second time mother, you're trying to figure out how to do all of these things. And raise the two-year-old while you're yes. trying to raise so tell us again um I don't think you got a chance to plug it's it's Mariah West do, do tell me the official name of the business yes so my business is Mariah West Doula LLC and my website is mariahwestdoulallc.com um and I'm also on Instagram at um Mariah West Doula yeah, so you can find her on all social media platforms. Mariah West Doula, she is amazing. Now the wrap up, because I hear Raina saying, "Mama, come on, wrap it up." <laughs> what would you? What advice, or what do you want to say to our listeners for people or anyone who may have experienced a loss at such a young age, or what you want them to know about how that? Just what do you want them to know about your story, loss at a young age, or any of that? Yeah, so I I think. Um, 
at a young age, it is, it is kind of hard to really understand what's happening. Um, so I feel like children should be able to ask questions. Like I felt comfortable enough to ask my parents what's going on. Um, because depending on your age, it is, I feel like important to be included because then you have a sense of what's going on and then also a sense of closure when it does happen. Um, if it's like a medical reason why your parent has passed and, I think that it's important to just find ways, find things to do that are going to make you happy. So like I had gymnastics that took my mind off a lot of things. I had cousins, I had my sister and my mom. Um, I had other family members who were always checking in on me. Um, I would do I would do things like arts and crafts. I I liked to cook. So just other things that I kind of got interested in. Um, And then I do feel like as you get older, if you you find yourself maybe going down a wrong path or feeling like um, you're, you're not worthy or you're not valued, then look into, (laughs) I know your (laughs) title of your podcast, but look into therapy because it's it, never it really, too late. Yes, it's never, it's never too, late. too late. And it really helped me to kind of like dig deeper into why I was doing the things I was doing, why I was having certain types of thoughts, why I was involving myself in certain types of relationships. Um, so I do think that it's important to kind of dig into your past in order to walk into your future. Oh, I love that. And to wrap it up, tell me three things that you must have in your closet or in your bag. Three fashion items you must have in your closet or All right. or beauty things you must have in your closet or in your bag. I am therapy. therapy. We talk about retail therapy on here as well. Oh, yes. So, yes. So I would say I am building up my handbags. Ooh-hoo. So handbags. That's one thing. Um, I do like jean jackets because I feel like they're versatile. You can wear them with t-shirts, with regular shirts, with dresses. Um, and I honestly like a good two piece, like jogger set just yes. for comfort. <laughs> you can never go wrong when it comes to comfort. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you, Mariah, for, I appreciate you so much. I, I, this episode has been amazing. Thank you for being my first guest. And guys, let me tell you, she did not hesitate when I said, this is what I'm doing. This is, I want you as my first guest. Is this okay if we discuss this? She said, no holds bar, baby, let's go. <laughs> yes. So she just said, let's do this. And as you can see, we have an amazing vibe with each other. And this, she's going to be on my other podcast. I have a second bo- podcast launching as well called Black Licorice. That's more fun, less serious. But oh. again, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for helping the listeners understand from your perspective Again, Mariah is just a normal, extraordinary individual who experienced something early in life. And you know what? She showed us that you never can be too late for therapy. So thank you so much. I love you and appreciate you. Thank you. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Hello. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm doing okay. What about yourself, ma'am? I am great. Welcome to Late for Therapy. Um, you guys, listeners, I just want to tell you a little bit about this fabulous person joining us today. 
She is an amazing woman, mother, sister, daughter, let me go on, cousin, friend, and just an outstanding woman in every aspect. And I'm going to also add very brave. Welcome. And as you share your story, please let me know if there's anything as we discuss that I'm missing or you want to cover. There are so many chapters and things that we want to go over. But everyone, this is Sybil. Sybil <laughs> now, we go back as far as, before we jump into your story, middle school. Oh, please don't date us. <laughs> it's been decades, girl, decades. decades. And while we, you and I were not initially tight and close, we hung around the same circle and we had the same best friend. So it's so funny. And Sybil, you probably don't remember this, but you taught me the lyrics to Get Up by Salt and Pepper. <laughs> you taught me because I could not get the part that said do re mi fa sol la ti do it and I kept messing it up and you were like no it's do re mi fa sol la ti do it you have the accent on the sol la ti and I was like got it got it yes you taught me that in the courtyard I don't even know you if you remember that <laughs> yes But yeah, you taught me those lyrics to get up by salt and pepper, and I just never ever forgot them. Can you hear me? Hello? Yes. But you taught oh, okay. me you taught me those lyrics and I never forgot them. Yeah, you were like, you have to accentuate the solati do it. So, yes, but, you know, your light and your gift, you know, not only being an incredible person, but listeners, she is an incredible and gifted writer. Um, and I think a lot of people don't know that about you. You are a very talented writer. Um, you, I don't think you're putting out anything at this moment, but if anyone ever has the pleasure of reading anything that you've written, whether it's just a small little uh, paragraph or if it's a whole sonnet, <laughs> you are an incredible writer. So I just Thank want you. to know that about you. So I just, you know, where shall we begin? Um, we'll begin where you want to begin. I know, I remember about a year ago, I think it was a year ago, you and I had a conversation and we didn't go into depth of what you were going through, but you gave me just kind of an overview of the past year or two of your life, or maybe three years of your life. And, but when you spoke to me and told me all that had been going on in your life and the chapters and the occurrences of just life being life and how you were maneuvering through and handling that. And then you told me what you wanted to do for the community. I said, whoa, she's had, she has a story. There's been a lot going on. And as women, when we are little girls, we never imagined that our life would be anything other than we imagined. We <laughs> it's funny how things <laughs> don't work out. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, it's, it's hilarious. Now we can laugh at it, but at times when we're going through the transition, like, uh-uh, this is how I planned it out and this is what I intended, that will definitely have us scratching our head because we never imagined it will turn into a fever dream. We never imagined just you know waking up every morning it wouldn't be as we said it was going to be but um I remember you speaking to me a year ago about that and just so many things were going on so I'm going to let you take the reins and just start from the beginning 
um, you had so many things going on leading up to currently in your chapter of life. And I remember you had, you can go back further than this, but I remember you telling me you had been in an accident. Okay. So yes, it was around Christmas time and I'm usually good about years. Um, I think it must've been about 2018 or 2019. And my youngest son, um, who's nine now. So at that time he was about three or four, we were just going to go. Um, I was going to let him pick out some ornaments to put on the Christmas tree. Um, well to put on his Christmas tree because I, am a bit of a Christmas fanatic. So we had <laughs> six trees in the house and he wanted to decorate his own tree. So I said, okay, you know, let's go. We're going to go to the store. You can pick out your stuff. So we're just going about our business and someone hits me in the, you know, from behind Oh gosh! and we're spinning. Um, thank God my dad was the, I was my dad's best son. Because he never had any. <laughs> so I remember you saying that before. <laughs> yes. So things that he would have loved to pass on to a son that fell on me because I'm the youngest and no girl, no boys, just girls. Can you, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Okay. Let me, I think I know what is causing this. Give me one. If I can get one second, then I can go ahead and. Okay. Can you hear me now? I can hear you loud. Okay. Okay, great. And um, so I'm not sure where I left off, but okay, so the gentleman hits us in the back and but he then proceeds to hit a pole. Well, he he ends up leaving in an ambulance and I'm so freaked out, but my son is in the back and he says, you know, oh, I'm fine. And so I asked the officer, is this gentleman, okay, you know, is everything all right with him? He's leaving in an ambulance. I just want to make sure, you know, that everything is fine. And he says, oh, he's going to be fine. He is talking, you know, he seems to be alert. There's no problems. So I wait a couple of days and I don't hear anything from an insurance company. So I call and the lady says, um, well, that person died and I was devastated I I was like how you know it's Sybil I don't think I knew the person passed away I think I only remember you being in an accident that was traumatic but I never knew that he passed away and the knowledge of that was so devastating to me mm -hmm. even though I realized I didn't 
caused the accident. But early in life, I think I understood the concept of being a part of a situation or a part of someone's story and that you still, you know, that you have to be who you are, even though it's someone else's story. And I just was devastated by that because it was around the holidays and I, you know, went, did a little bit of research and everything. He had family. He had people that loved him. He had his tribe of people and their holiday was forever going to be changed. And just because I wasn't the catalyst for it did not mean that there was not, you know, I'm part of that story, you know? And so, uh, it, it really hit me in a hard way, but the funny, not ha ha (laughs) funny, of course, but the funny thing is if you have surrounded yourself and this is Oh, thank God for therapy. Yes, yes. yes. You're never too late for therapy. Thank God for therapy. Oh, gosh. If you are surrounded by a certain type of people, you're going to become that type of person. That's why Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. always say, you know, birds of a feather feather. or, right, or peas in a pod or, you know, whatever sayings because it's 1000% true. And I'm a Pisces. Oh, the <laughs> so, mighty, mighty Pisces. The mighty Pisces. You know everything. what that reminds me of? Did you ever see a movie from the 80s called The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh? No, is it good? I'm going to look it up now. Listeners, it is a cult classic. It is from the early 80s, late 70s. It's about um, a basketball team I can't remember but they had the cheerleaders who were a bunch of sisters with afros they sung this song called the mighty mighty Pisces oh, so anytime it. someone tells me they're a Pisces I automatically think the mighty mighty Pisces song so well, you have to look that movie up oh why are you doing this to me because <laughs> I need a theme song for my That's you it. know <laughs> you ever just are walking into somewhere and you're like why don't I have theme music like, playing chef, you need your chef theme music <laughs> This is it. I listeners, I have found Sybil Nicole's theme music. It is the Mighty Mighty Pisces theme music from A Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. There it is. That is hilarious. I'm gonna be all over that. <laughs> so um okay, so Pisces, you know, that's just everything in the universe is happening in side. Yes, it <laughs> and, is. And, and so um I was never the type of person that, oh, I didn't express myself or if I was having a negative emotion, you know what people consider a negative emotion, then I had it. If I was joyous, then I would just be screaming and yelling at the top of my lung, you know, just with glee. And so you never realize how far you're in a hole mm. until you've gotten out of the hole. 
Mm, 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 mm. That is such a strong statement and, and it's so much truth to it. And it gives us something to think about because when you are finally on that other side, looking and you go, whew, wow, you don't realize it. You don't even you realize don't. you're living day to day like a machine. You're just doing what you have to do for the children. You're doing what you have to do for yourself. And you're so far in the hole, you don't even know it. You have absolutely no idea. And that's been something that I have really had a struggle with because um, for myself, I'm, I like to be a person that other people can depend on me. You know, um, mm-hmm. I hold a ton of secrets for several people because I am dependable. You know, they know that I'm not going to go out and just whatever they're with their information and, you know, that sort of thing. So you've been that way. Let me, let me go back. You've been that way. And although we hung around the same circle, you have always been what I called that quiet, um, strong spirit. Like you, you, you were kind of quiet, but you had people knew, and I knew that I could come to you in middle school and go, Oh my gosh, this, 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 and this, if I needed to, and that would go nowhere than that small space between us talking. And sometimes you don't even say a thing. You just listen, which is more powerful than actually throwing out an opinion. And I don't think you realize that that is one of, you have many great characteristics, but that's one of the best characteristics I can think of about you. You're very non-judgmental. You will listen and you will, you're kind of the person that sits and listens and go, okay, do you want my opinion or am I just here to, to support you and listen? And that that's you. Oh, thank you so much for that. I do feel like, uh, you know, oh, I'm not, I don't want to force my opinion onto anyone mm-hmm. or try to make someone feel badly for a decision that they've made because everyone has to be responsible for who they are and what they are doing, right. you know? Um, and so I missed out on so much opportunity. Um, I don't, I don't regret the decisions that I made because I do feel like everything has a lead to something else leads to something else leads to something else. Let me ask you this. What do you feel if you have to name two things that you feel like, um, you just lost out on? two opportunities, what would that be? And would that be during the time of your life following the accident? So sitting here on this side of the, uh, the immensely traumatic things that have gone on in my life over the past, uh, I'll give it about, 12 years maybe um I the things that I think the most about are pertaining to other people um I don't uh, like did I miss out on money and that sort of thing probably you know um because you were you were saying before you know about um, oh, 
a lot of people don't really know that I write and that sort of thing. And at the time that all of this, like the beginning of getting into the situation that was and is still don't, I don't want it to seem like all of a sudden everything is done, but I was really getting my name out there because Mm -hmm writing was always the thing that I 100% knew I was good at. Yes. And so I was, I had written for lots of online um, publications, a few local publications. Um, I'm a. (laughs) You were featured. You were featured. I remember a feature of you in all white. I cannot remember what was happening you, I, I don't remember if um, Jason Cord. shout out to Jason Cord's photography. I don't know if he shot that, those photos of you, but that's when your name was getting out there, Sybil. I remember you were writing for like local publications. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people were tapping you for their websites, just, you know, and you did this photo shoot and you had on all, I think it was all white. Um you probably don't remember. And it was brilliantly done. And your name was out there. And I was beaming from ear to ear as a consultant. I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And then, it, and then it stopped. And then it just stopped. And I initially, you know, you tell yourself like, oh, the, you know, I'm going to be doing what I'm doing. This is for the greater good. <laughs> Like you just tell yourself all sorts of just crap about um, what is going on that makes you abandon, you know, what you already had going on. And, um, you know, that would maybe be my only personal type of regret. Like, oh, I wish that I hadn't stopped because now people really would know my name, you know, and I would definitely be doing what I want to do, which would be interviewing and just writing, you know, Mm -hmm. um, hip hop that I'm a hip hop fanatic. That's not ever going to change. That's one thing you and I have in in common. (laughs) I am a hip hop and music fanatic, but listeners, Sybil Nicole is the hip Hop fanatic, you cannot beat her in hip hop Jeopardy. I'm sorry, I might come into close second, but you you don't only love hip hop and are not only a hip hop fanatic. You look at music like I do as a soundtrack to our lives. You break those lyrics down. You're looking at the like poetry of it, and that's all a part of who you are. And so when I saw this. I call it the rebranding and explosion of Sybil Nicole and you were everywhere when I went online. Um, and then it stopped. I went, uh-uh, wait, whoa, what happened? Where did she go? Because it was, you were on your way up. I, and I, I truly, I really was like, um, I had started already interviewing, you know, like, I don't know, Neo, Tamia, um, Adina Howard. She was like one of my favorites. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> um, the whole boot camp click. Which... You were on your way to be a celebrity 
interviewer. You were oh, there. And I loved it because I had a point of view that was not being seen. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. my age, the in in my age bracket, and then I was a black woman, you know, in the South. There there wasn't. I I really don't believe that still that there is anyone that represents or their voice is representative of my specific type of demographic, you know, and I'm moving back towards that. (laughs) That's, oh, I can't like, it's inside, you know, how something is just inside you. Like you talked about this on your first episode about how you kept trying to just, oh, I'm not going to do this podcast. And you were talking yourself out of it. And yes. then you just knew, you know, like that fire inside it, you don't want it to stop burning, but it's burning you, <laughs> which yes. that's not yeah. what you want. You want it to be out and flourishing, you know, and, uh, that's how I feel about, you know, using, my voice um to do that because uh, any kind of I love any kind of hip-hop I just love I really love though the old school you know and it's just it just speaks everything to me yes and so um that was a pretty the uh, you know that was regretful to me um but thank god the only thing that you the only thing you excuse me the only time you cannot change anything is when you're dead so yes you can still do it and do you think that when you were on your way up do you think that it got it was getting so big so fast that it scared you and you got in your own way and stopped or were there just other things going on that were competing priorities or you thought were competing priorities at the time that didn't allow you to give your time and energy to your gift and where you were going? So I know for a 100% fact is that you meet someone and, you know, you fall in love with that person. And as women, we take their priorities Mm -hmm. in order and then put ours underneath. And it's buried. We bury parts of ourselves that are not meant to be buried, but we do that. I think and I think you may have agreed with this, we do that out of what we think is love. And we sometimes are taught, oh, put their interests, support them first. Oh, girl, not sometimes in our community, you know, and especially if you come from, have a more religious background Mm -hmm. and that's not to take anything from that. My father was a minister, you know, when he passed away, my parents were married for 42 years. So it's definitely not to diminish that or take anything from that. It's just that there's nothing new under the sun. However, the way that it 
is presented and dealt with is different. And that particular part of love and marriage or love, you know, uh, intimate relationship, it didn't get, um, it didn't get, uh, a makeover. Yeah. You know, and so we kind of, if it was something that we saw on a regular basis, then you, we wanted to emulate that. Um, if it was something that we didn't see on a regular basis, we wanted to emulate what we didn't know. And our grandparents, you know, Mm -hmm. it was cool for grand for them to, Oh yeah. You know, John, John down the street looks just like so-and-so and everybody's turning a blind eye, even though that, kid over there is the <laughs> duplicate, duplicate um, bookends they're bookends and listen like, <laughs> and it's almost like we have to turn we were taught turn a blind eye because that's being supportive forgive 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 and forgive although we may not be forgiven for things but like only that. black but only the only- woman only the woman, because they're not as forgiving. And then we are taught to bury parts of ourselves, whether it's our intelligence or our dreams or whatever. Not, let me just say this, listeners, not all of us, not all of you are going to do that, but we're just talking about in general and what we see. And sometimes we do that to our detriment. And right. do you feel like that's, that's what happened to you? You had all of this great things going for you. And then you said, well, this is more important and I have to support this, even if that means I'm burying and killing parts of myself that I know I need to nurture. I, I definitely feel like that. And uh, let me say this as a just a pointer to any woman or man, because it could go either way that is out there. So when someone is manipulating you in a negative way, because I want to be 100% clear. There is definitely a time and a place for manipulation. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times it gets a bad rap because you usually only hear about how someone is manipulating a person in a negative way, but you can be manipulated in a positive way also. Very true. I never thought about that. That's very true. Right. So, um, you know, when the negative manipulation began, it starts off with little things. And this is what I want your listeners to think about or be able to look back and really assess a situation. Um, For me, And it's funny because I didn't realize this until I'm climbing out of the hole. And so for me, the really small first manipulation was, oh, I don't really like colored uh, fingernails or toenails. So I prefer Mm. a French tip, you know, um, on the toes and no color on the oh, fingernails. So small and subtle. It's so small. And it's subtle. so small. And just most people 
that's not a big deal. I'm easy, you know, laid back type of person just naturally. And so it's like, Oh, you know, I don't care. That's not a big thing. Um, you know, but now on the other side, it's huge, you know, because I had 20 fingernail cut polish colors and I took care of my own manicures and pedicures and every five or six days I would change the color and make, you know, mm -hmm. that was my expression of me for me. Right. And it seems small until you look that it's just a series of small things. Because if someone is negatively manipulating you, you don't in any way, shape or form understand until it's done because it's never going to be a huge manipulation because that would never work. It doesn't come off just the big finish, like don't go anywhere, stay in the house all day, da 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 da. It starts off small, like like you said, oh, I like just clear fingernail polish on my, you know. And so you change that. And it, instead of them just stopping there, you don't look at that and say, okay, then it comes up, well, I only wear, want you to wear dresses below the knees. And then you're like, okay. And when you come crawling out of that hole and you look back, you're like, wow, wow. It was the little pieces, the little things that built up to when you get to a point where you're like, huh, what is happening and what happened? Right. Because it's conditioning. And mm -hmm. me, like I used to talk on the phone and just laugh, cackle, you know, go yes. on or, and everything. And so um, me and my one of my cousins, we used to have this ongoing joke like, Oh, I have to get off the phone because blah, blah, blah is home. And even though blah, blah, blah didn't specifically tell me I hate when you're on the phone, uh, it was a more coercive situation, you know? And mm -hmm. so then every time I come in, you're on the phone, even though it may just be like, twice a month, you know, or something like that. Right. But then you're not wanting to stir the pot or, you know, anything like that. So you're like, oh, I heard the garage door open, you know, or whatever. And yes. then yeah, you're off the phone. And, and it's setting you up for, and I believe the subtleties like that. And then like you, you gave the example of the phone situation, it's almost also setting us up to accept bad behavior. It's like chiseling away at not only who we are as a person and what we believe and what we stand for, but it also sets us up to accept bad behavior. And that's true. It's the, for me, I believe that the purpose is break down you know, they want to break you all the way down. So then little things that, you know, that's the easiest way to break something down is to just chip away at it. Um, so then that's what they're doing. But in doing that, they're making their behavior okay. Yep. Yes, I agree. I've read about that. I've seen it so many times and just read about it, not having been able to witness it like firsthand 
to an extent, but I've heard men and women explain it mm-hmm. in the way that you've explained it. So you're, you're absolutely right. Right. Oh yeah. It's definitely, it's not, 